Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Live from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. This is historic progress. Pulling our economy out of the worst crisis in 100 years. The key to the new innovation technology is actually coming from the oil and gas industry. How much money do we need for rural broadband? How much money do we need for bridges? Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. Wages will continue rising until those supply constraints ease up. President Biden's economic plan is certainly working. The investments in the American Rescue Plan are being intactful. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Live from Washington, where we have a deal once again on infrastructure. $550 billion in new money coming up. We'll take a look at what is inside and talk about it with Labor Secretary Marty Walsh, who sees new jobs in this bill. And, of course, will be a central figure in selling it to the country. We'll get analysis ahead from Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shee and Zeno and Rick Davis. And thank you for meeting us on this Wednesday. It may seem like deja vu, but we finally have news on infrastructure. You may have heard that in Washington now, just on the phone, looks like you reached a bipartisan agreement on infrastructure. Fancy word for bridges, roads. President Biden today speaking at a factory tour in Pennsylvania. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says they're ready to move now. Tonight, I'm intending to call a vote to move to proceed to the bipartisan infrastructure bill. I believe we have the votes for that. Setting up an important procedural vote to begin debate on this measure. So what's inside and what will happen next in this process? We're joined by U.S. Labor Secretary Marty Walsh. Secretary, thank you for coming back to see us on Bloomberg Radio. Oh, thanks for having me today. It's a good day for America today, and uh, hopefully after the vote tonight, it'll be a great day for America to show that uh, bipartisanship's alive and well, and President Biden is fulfilling on his promise of a, a bipartisan bill. Well, we're looking at what the White House calls the largest federal investment in public transit ever, the largest federal investment in passenger rail since the creation of Amtrak and the biggest dedicated bridge investment since the construction of the interstate highway system. Secretary, do you have a sense of how many of these projects are shovel ready, as we used to say, projects people could start working on now? You know, I I think a lot lot of states and, and cities around this country have a lot of projects ready to go. Uh, I certainly know in Boston when I was the mayor, uh, we had a lot of projects ready to go if we had the revenue for it. Uh, you know, the, the, the beauty about this, this is an investment over multi-years, so uh, it'll allow the opportunity to, to ramp up some of these projects. So uh, th- there's, th- there's a lot of great investment that otherwise might not have happened all across this country in different areas. So I would say that once this bill, once we get the bill, hopefully through the Senate and through the House and onto the president's desk for signing, uh, we're going to start to see this money go out the door pretty quickly. This has been quite a process, Secretary, and you don't need me to tell you that. You and I were talking about a previous deal, my gosh, four or five weeks ago. Are you confident that this is actually the framework that we're going to be debating on Capitol Hill next? No, I definitely feel really good about this. Uh, You know, the president has spent 
many, many hours in a room. I, I want to commend the, the Republican and Democratic senators and, and everyone who has been, been at the table. Uh, this has been a lot of work put into this bill. Uh, and, and I think there's been a lot of skeptics and skepticism around was it, was a bill, was it, was an agreement going to be reached? Uh, but we did reach an agreement and, and the agreement, quite honestly, was reached for on behalf of the American people. And I think that the American people are looking for their government to, to work collaboratively together. Uh, an infrastructure bill in a long time coming. I was down in Washington myself uh, a few years ago with, with Governor Baker from Massachusetts. We went down as a Democrat and Republican trying to see if we could get some uh, infrastructure through at that time. And I think they were close, but they could never get it done. And, and now we're on the verge of getting it done. There's still work to be done. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to be overly optimistic until this bill is on the governor and the president's desk, I should say. Uh, but when it's on his desk, um, you know, it's going to be a cause for celebration in, in a lot of places in America. Uh, the the famous road trip. I remember it very well. Uh, maybe that's what we can credit this whole process to secretary. The, the president issued a statement today. Joe Biden says the agreement will put Americans to work in what he calls good paying union jobs. And he went further in his speech today in Pennsylvania, where he talked about dealing with so-called orphan wells. And guess what? A lot of those abandoned wells are leaking methane. And guess what? The same union guys that dug those wells, they can make the same union ways capping those wells. I play that because you've talked a lot about job training, Secretary Walsh. There are other more specialized jobs that would come from this legislation, right? Think telecom, I'm thinking high tech, broadband. How would you help people get those skills? Well, first and foremost, I think it's really important that uh, th- these investments are, are going to help uh, our economy grow uh, by creating jobs, enhancing our competitiveness, uh, and, and making uh, our economy more sustainable. So, I, I, and, saying, and I think that's just the first thing we have to talk about because when you have an infrastructure bill, there's spinoff from that, and there's spinoff in cities and towns all across America. Uh, the president also has been very clear that uh, he wants to make sure that uh, these jobs are good paying jobs. And, and there's a lot of a lot of protections in these jobs as well uh, to make sure that these jobs uh, pay good wages so that people can can earn a living and get into the middle class. Uh, that's something the president's been very, very clear on. Clearly, I've been clear on as well. Um, and so we're excited about I'm excited about that. Uh, job training is going to be key. Uh, and economic development in all of this economic development is going to be key. And, you know, I've, I've been working now as Secretary of Labor for over four months. Uh, we've already begun to, to start giving out just through the regular traditional ways, job training money. Uh, there's been a lot to talk about 8 million Americans out of work and, and looking, some of them looking to be retrained. So we have such a tremendous opportunity here to reskill workers. Part of it is in the environmental aspect of the economy. Um, you know, people that might have been working in, in, in oil, oil, oil refineries or working in coal mills, coal mines, I should say, excuse me, um, retraining those workers to allow them the opportunity to get, to get jobs in, into the into the environmental space. These are going to be good paying jobs as well uh, in some cases. Some cases is how do we train people to, to get into the tech industry, not part of the infrastructure bill, but how do we train them to get into the tech industry? Because tech now with investments in rail, investments in, in roads and bridges, better connectivity for people to get to jobs. There's so many opportunities here for us to really take the American workforce into the 21st century, the, the second half of the 21st century, or the second quarter, I should say, of the 21st century, uh, into really, really creating something special here in America. We're talking with U.S. Labor Secretary Marty Walsh to kick off this edition of Bloomberg Sound On with a deal 
on infrastructure. We've talked a lot about a worker shortage, Secretary. We talked about this last time you were here. People will continue debating why it is happening or why some people have been reluctant to come back to work. But what gives you the confidence to believe America will come back and, and that we will have the workforce to do all these projects? Because we have an opportunity here to do something special in America that we really quite honestly haven't done in, in nearly 100 years, uh, creating a, a stronger economy and more opportunities for people to get into better paying jobs. Uh, you know, job training is going to be part of it as well. But I think the reality of the current situation we're in, you guys have been reporting on it today, is that we're still living, living with the coronavirus. And, you know, we need to make sure that we get people healthy. We need to make sure that we get people to be able to come back to work safely. Uh, we need to, you know, and vaccines going to be part of that. I know it's not part of this interview, but uh, I want to make a pitch for vaccines. You know, as, as a mayor, former mayor, uh, I saw the impact that COVID had on our economy, had on our industry, our restaurants, our businesses, and, and it's still going to have that impact. So uh, I do feel that we will get America's, Americans back to work and all Americans that want to go to work will have an opportunity. This infrastructure bill will, will, will put us on a pathway to making sure any American that is looking for work will be able to obtain a job as we move forward here. Well, it is actually part of this interview. Obviously, you just brought it up, but it ties directly into what we're talking about here as we try to get an economic recovery underway. And I remember talking with you as mayor uh, when this was a very scary moment and, and we were going around the dark side of the moon on COVID. A lot of people are worried we may be all over again. But I'd like to ask you about the new COVID mask guidance from the CDC and the White House, some of the new vaccine mandates that we're seeing from employers. Are you concerned that that will scare people from coming back to work, or does that make them more comfortable to return to work, knowing their colleagues will have masks and potentially be vaccinated? I think a lot of people come back to work. My fear is that people that are not vaccinated, they're currently working. Uh, you know, every night on the news, you turn on a station and you're finding somebody that refused to get a vaccine and they're regretting it now. And, you know, what we don't want to see is people lose their life due to the variant. We don't want to see any more loss of life due to COVID. Um, this has been a long year and a half now, uh, and it appears that for the next couple of months here, maybe even longer than that, we're going to be living with the variant now coming out stronger and, and more and more people getting COVID every day in America. So, uh, you know, I want to encourage people when we see a light at the end of the tunnel, uh, we've seen it now two or three different times here. And we've seen a spike in COVID-19 um, or a spike in the variant. So uh, I'm just trying to encourage people, you know, those stories that you're seeing on TV from people that that refuse to get vaccinated and, and wish they had, those are real. Yeah. Uh, those are real people. Uh, and those are real concerns that people have. Um, our economy, our businesses in America need a break. They need us to get back to work. They need us to, to get our economy up and running. And, and we can only do that if we if we combat and beat back the virus. And, and right now, uh, it, the numbers are heading in the wrong direction. I don't want to just say doom and gloom here, no. but the, the, the numbers are definitely heading in the wrong direction. I was in St. Louis a couple weeks ago, uh, and, you know, people out of work, people want to get back to work. And, and we're seeing the numbers in, in, in Missouri jumping. We're seeing the numbers all over this country jumping in different places. So, uh, really, I can't stress the importance of people taking care of themselves. Uh, when you're out, if you can wear a mask, if, if there's a mandate, you know, wear the mask. Uh, let's not fight this. We've seen over 600,000 Americans lose their life yeah. through the COVID-19. Uh, this, this, this is uh, still with us. So we have an opportunity to push this thing back. So get vaccinated and be safe. With regard to vaccine mandates, Richard Trumka, the AFL-CIO, says he will support a vaccine mandate. Politico, there was reporting, Secretary, that many member unions, including the American Federation of Teachers, say slow down. That should be decided in individual workplaces. Do you have a stand on that? 
No, I don't. I don't per se have a stand on it, but but, but I do think that you know, um, in my former role, uh, I, I would have I would be encouraging people to get vaccinated, uh, especially in your former role as a union leader. You're saying as, as a mayor, as mayor of Boston, uh, you know, got it. As mayor of Boston, because you know some of these jobs you're working, whether it's a food processing line or it's working in a school and teaching kids or any 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 job. Most jobs today are, are outward facing, meaning you're interacting with the public. Again, it's about keeping you safe and your family safe. And, and, and if, if, if that's not a concern of you, then, then keep people around you safe. And I, I would encourage, you know, before we have to go to mandate, we, we shouldn't have to be even talking about mandate. Yeah. People should be, if they're comfortable enough, should be willing to get the, the, the vaccine. This, this somehow has turned into a political issue. It's not a political issue. It's about health, the health and safety of, of, of individuals. And a workplace issue, which is why we talk about it with the U.S. Secretary of Labor, Marty Walsh. Thank you for being back with us, Secretary. I'm sure you'll be on the road selling the deal at some point here. We'd love to stay in touch with you. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The headline on the terminal, Senators strike infrastructure deal, Schumer preps initial vote, and the president is welcoming the news, much like he did the last agreement. I'm working with Democrats and Republicans to get this done because while there's a lot we don't agree on, I believe that we should be able to work together on the few things we do agree on. And joining us to discuss the next steps here, Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Sheehan-Zeno and Rick Davis. Let me start by congratulating both of you since you've spent so many hours of your lives walking up to this moment with us. Jeannie, Senator Chuck Schumer says he has the votes. We heard him mention that a short time ago. What's different, though, from the last time he tried this, when it failed? 
Well, this time, the Republicans who balked because they had no legislation, no bill to look at, you know, nothing in writing, they didn't have an agreement on pay fors and all of those things. They have that now, presumably. And so they will be able to make a judgment. And I do believe he will get this procedural vote done to move to discussing this bill. So that is a huge difference and a step forward. Mm -hmm. And remember, several Republicans said to Chuck Schumer and the president, you give us you know a bill we will be able to make a decision on this so i do think they will get the procedural vote passed whether in fact they get the bill passed into the president's desk as you look at the house and you've mentioned this is a whole nother story but setting that aside it is a big day and a big moment that we finally have this bipartisan agreement to move forward on Rick, the complaint in that first procedural vote, which everyone knew would fail, was that, well, there was no bill. How could we possibly vote on something that doesn't exist? I'm looking at a fact sheet here. came from the White House a short time ago. Paragraphs on everything from EVs, clean drinking water, public transit. They all have a dollar figure. Is that enough to at least create the confidence for a yes vote in the Senate? Sure it is. Uh, I think that uh, this is this is more detailed than many bills that start the process of uh, debate. So uh, I think the fact that they've actually ironed out most of the big issues between the Democrats and the Republicans by creating this structure around the bill with the funding, but also the pay fors, which were critical in this debate, uh, I think gives this thing actually uh, a real wind at its back in order to be able to uh, to get through the Senate in in some reasonable way, right? If they get through tonight's vote and they they start to debate the bill, um, it, they're, they're going to go into all kinds of discussions about how much time they're going to allot, how many amendments they're going to allot. Um, the real fun begins. Uh, but uh, this is uh, a really terrific start, one that's been very well calculated by the group of 22 that have been working hard since, you know, remember, I mean, this all got started once the Biden Shelley Moore Capito uh, deal fell apart. And so this is really great progress. Glad you mentioned the pay fors. We actually haven't gotten to this yet. A statement from the White House says the deal is, yes, paid for through a combination. This is from the White House statement, a combination of redirecting unspent emergency relief funds targeted corporate user fees this popped out tax enforcement of cryptocurrencies and what they call other bipartisan measures is that enough genie it's a start i don't know if that's what it will look like in the end if this thing does get through but it's certainly a start and it addresses some of the issues that both republicans and democrats had i think obviously and most importantly for the white house and the president as he has been saying over and over again and he says it towards the end of their statement they released today they're going to be doing this and they're going to be paying for it without raising taxes on anybody who makes less than 400,000 a year, no gas tax increase and no fee on EVs. Those were huge for the president. And so for him, I think those were bottom lines. I'm not I'm not convinced that the, what we're hearing today is, is what we'll see at the end, but it shouldn't be. There's going to be a lot of compromise and debates, but I think it's definitely a start here. And the president, and we heard it in your interview with the Secretary Walsh, they are very upbeat about this, very excited. But just the pragmatist in me says, 
you know, it is interesting that we are at a time in this country when we are celebrating moving a bill towards discussion. I mean, we, <laughs> we have to reflect on that for a minute and nothing yeah. against the secretary or the president or anybody else. No, but that's where reality. we are. Absolutely. <laughs> that's where we are. So there's one more on here. One more offset. I didn't mention uh, Rick Davis. It says, in addition, everything I just said, in addition to the revenue generated from higher economic growth as a result of the investments This always comes with the infrastructure conversation along with any kind of economic stimulus legislation that says essentially it'll pay for itself by growing the economy, right? It's going to create more tax revenue because we're growing the economy. If you're on the other side of the aisle, though, you're asking, well, what if that doesn't happen? What if COVID takes hold? What if the economy doesn't rebound, Rick, as much as we think it will? Yeah, that look, as you described, Joe, I mean, this is in every single bill, right? They have to take a, a shot at what we think the real GDP growth is going to be. Uh, and, and of course, they're doing this at a time when GDP second quarter numbers just came out and it's 8.3%. I mean, nobody expects GDP growth to last uh, right. uh, you know, for five years uh, at that level. But, but what will it be? And so these are the ways of creative uh, budgeteering, right? I mean, they're, they're, they, everyone has to sort of with a straight face say, we all agree that this is kind of the growth we want. See, the, the, the Congressional Budget Office, CBO, and, and its economists will have a hack on this. This will all get scored. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and yet, look, I mean, you know, when you start the pay-fors with $250 billion from COVID relief funds that have already been allocated and $50 billion in unemployment benefits, you're really doing well without having to raise huh. taxes. And welcome to the Wednesday edition of Bloomberg Sound On. The president tweeting today, President Biden, infrastructure week, we made it. And Democrats are wasting no time in the Senate. Tonight, I'm intending to call a vote to move to proceed to the bipartisan infrastructure bill. I believe we have the votes for that, and we will then proceed uh, to to do amendments and go forward on that bill. We are also in very good shape to move forward on the budget uh, resolution with reconciliation instructions. So both tracks are moving forward in a very good way. Both tracks, in case you were wondering, we've only been talking so far this hour about the bipartisan framework, the hard infrastructure, the stuff seemingly most can get their heads around. Roads, bridges, tunnels, ports, broadband, and water. There's more where that came from, of course, and helping us understand what's inside. As we also prepare for the reconciliation track is Bloomberg government's Jack Fitzpatrick. Welcome back, Jack. It's good to have you. You finally have a deal here. Yeah, yeah, we actually do appear to have a deal. Uh, As you heard from that Schumer clip, we could have a vote as soon as tonight. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's not necessarily set in stone, but we could get that procedural vote as soon as tonight. Keep in mind, though, for this infrastructure bill, even the bipartisan infrastructure bill that there is a deal on now, and they're turning this into legislative language, and fairly soon we should have an actual bill, Uh, That isn't going to get through the House until there's also this next big reconciliation bill, because Speaker Pelosi has said those are tied together. Uh, So this is a significant step forward, one, because it allows the Senate to get moving on this infrastructure bill. But two, uh, it, it then allows them to get started in the early procedural votes 
uh, on this on the three and a half trillion dollar measure. But really, we're not going to see either of them get to the finish line without the other. So it's, we, we have a ways to go before anything becomes law, uh, despite the progress that was made the last couple of days. Last time we spoke, Jack, it was about sticking points. It was about money for water, right? And it was about money for transit. How did those both come out? Uh, you know, we're, we're looking for the exact details. The latest we'd heard is that on the 80-20 divide, we're, we're going to have to wait for the exact uh, uh, ratio. But it, we had heard that Democrats had accepted Republicans' uh, proposal, gave a, a little ground on the highway versus public transit. Uh, debate. Uh, some of the details we still don't have. We, we don't have quite as much detail on uh, the pay-fors, although it is, you know, this is not the the tax increases that were discussed. Uh, there's no gas tax. Uh, there's not an electric vehicle tax or anything like that. Really, uh, to be honest, at this point, we are sorting through a bunch of information coming out on what they have agreed to spend money on. Uh, totaling $550 billion. Mm -hmm. You may have noticed, though, from the uh, the president put a statement out very much emphasizing those little victories and not getting so much into the pay-fors. That's something where there's an agreement, but we're still sort of waiting for information to come out on the exact details for pay-fors. Bloomberg Government's Jack Fitzpatrick. Great work as ever, Jack, and thank you for being with us as he's been following every beat of this thing. For the last five weeks, the offsets, the pay-fors that we were talking about with Jeannie and Rick a short time ago include a couple of familiar and some unfamiliar ideas. It says it's financed through a combination of redirecting unspent emergency relief funds. We knew that would be the case. It's old money. But also targeted corporate user fees. Yes. How about this? Strengthening tax enforcement when it comes to cryptocurrencies. Other bipartisan measures, and then it says revenue generated from the higher economic growth, assuming, of course, that happens, and there are question marks about that. As for Nancy Pelosi, Jack mentioned the House. What's the speaker got to say today? I can't commit to passing something that I don't even know what it is yet, uh, but I'm hoping for the best. All right. We'll see how that plays. And, of course, she is adamant about taking both tracks at once. The Senate will have to get the reconciliation process going before The speaker deals with the first part of this. Inflation has been a big part of this whole conversation. We heard from the Fed today, not terribly worried about it. What happens when you add another several trillion dollars? Thomas Hogan joins us, senior research fellow at the American Institute for Economic Research, was former chief economist on the Senate Banking Committee. Thomas, welcome. Thanks for being with us. And after what you heard from the Federal Reserve today, still sticking with this idea of temporary or transitory inflation, when you add this much more spending, what does that mean for our economy? Well, I, I mean, it's hard to tell right now because the recent inflation numbers are so high that they probably don't really reflect what, what's going to happen in the long term. You know, uh, Fed Chair Powell has emphasized that he believes that we're going to have a short-term uh, high inflation and that that's going to calm down over the medium term. And looking at the numbers, it, it seems like that's probably correct. I mean, the recent uh, high numbers that we had in June of a 5.4% CPI and 4.4% uh, core are almost totally driven by increases in auto prices, and everyone knows about the shortage of semiconductors that are driving that. Um, other than that, it doesn't seem like these are long-term problems that are caused by uh, anything related to Fed policy. The idea of this 
infrastructure plan helping to pay for itself by generating higher economic growth says what to you? Is that something you can bet on? I find that highly unrealistic. <laughs> so all the evidence that we have on fiscal spending says that when we when we increase fiscal spending and we're not in a recession, that it almost never has good benefits for the economy. Most of the estimates say that one dollar of increase in fiscal spending leads to about sixty to eighty cents increase in total spending in the economy. Um, and so it's almost always just a waste of money. If we if we increase fiscal spending when we're in a recession in order to try to get the economy going again, that's a time when it makes sense and fiscal policy can really pay off. But when we're already in an economy that's out of the recession, increasing spending just doesn't make sense. All of the evidence that we have says that is almost surely a waste of money rather than something that's going to benefit the economy. Insights from Thomas Hogan, Senior Research Fellow at the American Institute for Economic Research. He was former chief economist on the Senate Banking Committee, so he's been there. Thomas, thank you. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Now, the hard part. With a deal on infrastructure, the Senate gets the ball rolling, but there could be major obstacles in the House. And we bring back Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Sheehan-Zeno and Rick Davis to talk more about this. Jeannie, I mentioned President Biden's tweet not too long ago. says simply, it's infrastructure week, causing smirks and smiles around town because it pokes a little fun at the Trump administration, which, of course, declared just about every week as such. There's another tweet, though just a couple of hours ago from Representative Peter DeFazio. Of course, this is the House, the chair of the Transportation Committee. He writes, we need investments that rebuild our country while creating good paying jobs. My Invest Act charts our path forward. I'm fighting to make sure, he writes, we enact a transformative bill that supports our recovery and combats the existential threat of climate change. He has made clear, Jeannie, this is, of course, again, a Democrat in the House, that he is not a fan of the form this Senate legislation has taken. And he wants to see his own language inserted in this bill when it arrives at the House. Meanwhile, the Speaker, Nancy Pelosi, says she won't even touch this until there's a reconciliation bill that is sent over from the Senate. Could this die in the House? It could die in the House and it could die in the Senate as well. Um, you know, we heard even from Elizabeth Warren, she would vote to move the bill forward to discussion, but she's not sure where she stands on the bill. That's something we've heard from many progressives, obviously many Republicans opposed to it. And so it could still die in the Senate, long way to go there. And then more importantly, the House, and I'm so glad you raised the chair of the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee, because Peter DeFazio has been very vocal about his displeasure. He said at one point that he was cut out of the deal. He He's described as frustrated. I think at one one point, he was quoted as saying the agreement is crap that he had nothing to do with. And so once this thing gets to the House, which, as you were just talking with Jack about, it's not going to get there until we get a reconciliation bill, according to Nancy Pelosi, then it is in for a whole host of changes and it will have to go through reconciliation at that point. And and just back to your discussion with Hogan previously with with Thomas Hogan, it's interesting you're talking about inflation 
because we also heard Mitt Romney say he loves this bill, which he was a part of crafting, but he hates the other bill, the reconciliation, because <laughs> of the fear of inflation. And yeah. he's not going to sign off on that, at least at this point. So, you know, obviously, Democrats don't need a Republican to sign off on that if they can hold their caucus together. So long way to go on all of this. And a lot of people have a lot to say. And that's the system that we have. One person, two people in something so narrowly divided can destroy the entire effort. Yeah, Politico's Colin DeFazio, the tiger of the House today, Rick. So I'll ask you again, uh, Rick Davis, should Joe Biden be more worried about Democrats or Republicans in this process? Oh, I think Joe Biden's entire problem are the Democrats in this process. I mean, uh, Jeannie's right. I mean, this is not a done deal in the Senate. But you have a lot of Republicans now saying, oh, I'm going to support moving forward. Uh, once they cast that bill on cloture or that vote on cloture, it's highly likely they're going to be bought into a lot of this this plan as long as there aren't a lot of big changes that occur in the amendment process. But the the problem is that the Democrats may not support parts of this. As, as Jeannie pointed out, uh, there are Democrats who may not like the end product in the Senate and in the House. And so let's say we get this bill through the Senate, which I think is actually a, a, a logical conclusion of all the effort we've seen. And uh, the speaker holds it up. Uh, Who's she, who's she upsetting? She's not upsetting Republicans. They're, she's upsetting the president of the United States, uh, the leader of her party, right? Her discussion about moving this through the House and into conference is going to be with the president and her own caucus. It's not going to include Republicans. So, you know, the Democrats can be their own worst enemy. This is already being set up to be a big fight within the Democratic Party. And I certainly wouldn't speculate, but I would say the one person who's going to want to sign that bill in the Oval Office, um, you know, before the end of this year is Joe Biden. And he is not going to let Nancy Pelosi stand in his way. Well, that could be a fun meeting, uh, Jeannie. What is it that Nancy Pelosi is looking for and what is it that the progressive members of her caucus are looking for that have not already been promised either in this framework or in a reconciliation bill? Well, I, I think what Nancy Pelosi is trying to do is, quite frankly, what many speakers in the modern era have struggled with, and, and some of them just left because it was too much to handle, to hold a very diverse caucus together. Um, you know, she is thinking about how do I keep these this big group of progressives and these moderates who helped us win and helped me become speaker together, and we just have about a year to go, a little more than a year to go, before all yeah. these people are up for re-election. She's focused on that. Obviously, the progressives are very concerned that they sign off on this, you know, hard infrastructure, if you will, and they don't get all the things they promised to their base. They promised free education, free college education. They promised pre-K. They've promised all sorts of things in terms of elderly care. Um, you know, certainly, uh, you know, all of these sort of soft, if you will, human infrastructure components they want in this bill. And let's not forget the green components. It was striking to me the president today highlighted that in his statement. And, and one thing I would say, which I said about Biden's statement today, which I said last time, I think he's got to be very careful about getting ahead of himself. He is saying things like this deal signals to the world our democracy can function, deliver and do big things. <laughs> We're a bit off on that. Right. So, you know, I I think he's got to, you know, celebrate the achievement and be positive and move 
forward using the bully pulpit, but he's got to be very careful about celebrating before he gets this thing, you know, he's able to sign this thing. Just to go back a, a, a minute, though, to what you were saying, Jeannie, all of the things that those progressive lawmakers promised were supposed to end up in reconciliation, right? So do they not trust their speaker to get that done? I think they've got to be very cautious. That's why she's saying these are linked together, because the worst case scenario for for progressives is Democrats go along with this bipartisan deal and no reconciliation bill is forthcoming because somebody like Kristen Sinema or Joe Manchin or some of the more moderate Democrats say we're not going to go to 3.5 trillion. And that is a very realistic possibility. Let's just remember Mitt Romney, part of this bipartisan coalition is talking about concerns about inflation. You've got Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema. Kristen Cinema today said she wasn't convinced about the reconciliation. So they do not want to couple these things. Nancy Pelosi is supporting the progressives and saying they're going to be coupled. And that is what is going to have to be negotiated in the days and the weeks going forward. If I could just switch gears uh, into something looking ahead to tomorrow, that and they all play in together here. We can't have an economic rebound or, frankly, an infrastructure bill that works putting everyone back to work without beating COVID. And President Biden's going to announce this vaccination requirement apparently tomorrow across the federal government. There are many today and yesterday that have been coming from private employers. We heard from Google. We heard from Facebook, says U.S. employees, as I read on the terminal, need vaccinations for office return. We also see new vaccinations rebounding in some COVID hotspots. But Rick, as President Biden rolls this out tomorrow, it's not coming without controversy. Even in organized labor, this is something that I asked Secretary Marty Walsh about a little bit earlier, a report today, that Richard Trumka says he'll support this AFL-CIO, but many, many of his member unions will not. What kind of headwinds will Joe Biden run into getting well, America's I, workforce vaccinated? Absolutely, Joe. I think this is, this is the great challenge left in combating this, this public health crisis is getting people vaccinated, and there are many different reasons uh, why people are resisting this as as large organizations like unions and corporations and even the government. I mean, Joe Biden could have instituted a civilian requirement for vaccines when they rolled them out in the first quarter of this year. Yeah. Um, but he didn't. I mean, retrospect, maybe he should have. That would have shown a stronger uh, commitment. But the bottom line is we're we're entering a period of time where you have covid uh, especially driven by the Delta variant, uh, uh, really uh, metastasizing in these states. Texas's numbers today are horrific. Uh, and, and so something has to be done about it. If you want to stay in the recovery phase of this economic activity we're doing and not fall back into a recession, you have to be able to conquer COVID. Everybody has agreed with that. And the only thing that has been at odds is what level of um, control is the government and corporations and communities going to have to instill that people will get vaccinated. And so maybe the pendulum is moving back toward vaccines. It flattened out uh, over the summer. Uh, There didn't seem to be able, uh, the government wasn't able to make their 70% of the country vaccinated by July 4th target. Um, But uh, uh, we all have to have hope that uh, these these current situations with the spread of the Delta variant will uh, will encourage people to go get a vaccine. And obviously, the more pressure they have from companies and organizations like labor uh, to say, if you want to work in an office, you got to be vaccinated uh, or 
get you know daily, weekly uh, tests, then maybe that's enough to get get everybody else back in line. Rick Davis and Jeannie Sheehan-Zeno, Bloomberg Politics contributors. Thanks to both of you, as always. Can't believe we actually got a deal. To Rick's point, Texas logging more than 10,000 in daily new virus cases for the first time in almost six months. You probably saw that alert cross the screen as the latest wave of the pandemic intensifies across the second most populous U.S. state. We'll have more on this tomorrow as the president is expected to roll out that mandate. You'll hear about it on Sound On. I'll meet you even earlier on Balance of Power. Got a lot to look forward to tomorrow. And we'll meet you there on Bloomberg Radio. I'm Joe Matthew, and this is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.